Good morning. It's good to be here and also want to welcome the visitors. want to welcome Granny back with us. It's good to see you here. I've been doing a, what I would call a deep dive into studying about men and women. And how, you know, society today is trying to erase gender distinction. They're trying to take away male and female and put it all together to where there's just people. And God, when He created man, He created them in His image, and He created them male and female. And so, I'm not going into that this morning. But one thing that has become crystal clear to me in this has been that we are to represent God. And to properly represent God, which is why we were created, it's an absolute that that distinction remains male and female. And of course, I start looking at husband and wife marriage. And those are good things. You may hear more about that in the months to come. Excuse me while I fix my paper here. But the fact that it's being attacked at such a high level in society today is an indication of its importance. Sam talked about the word glory, that we are to bring glory to God. God deserves glory in our lives. And when I think of the word glory, what helped me understand that word better and how I actually bring glory to God is the word reflection, or maybe even better than that, the word representation. And 
you know, to be a proper representation, well, that's why we were created. So we have to be able to understand so that we can live the way we were created. Because when we can live the way we were actually created to live, well, all of the good things of God get thrown in. But as sinful humans, we don't naturally understand the way we were created. When man sinned, wisdom became separated. Wisdom was no longer just from God. Humans had a way of thinking about them that seemed wise. There's a verse in Romans that says this way, Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. And I'm curious if you've ever thought what it means to be wise in your own conceits. To understand what it might mean, it might be worth it for us to look at the story of Joseph. I've been talking to the intermediate class about the story of Joseph. And I have come recently, in the last year probably, to appreciate the Old Testament stories at a level that I really hadn't before. I had more looked at those as just, in a sense, history. Of course, there's lots we can learn from those stories, but, you know, it was stories of God preserving a people through whom Christ would come. But I've realized that these stories have so much more. The story of Joseph is no exception. They're stories of humanity. They're stories of human patterns of thought that at some level are repeated every day in the modern world. You know, as Christians, one common theme that I hear, or a common maybe an attitude, that I think would probably one be one that, that you could resonate with, in that it, thank you, Adric, in that it, it is a common, a common attitude you hear. You know, as as Mennonite people, maybe I should just say even as Christians, maybe not even just Mennonite people, uh, because it is much broader than that. But we have the realization that we're saved by grace, and we're saved by grace alone, right? It's not work that we have done. But it's easy to 
kind of adapt that mindset that we're saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so we can tend, I think, to do what we know is maybe our duty when it comes to church responsibility or work, when it comes to how we live within our home. But maybe we tend to have a minimalist mindset when it comes to how we conduct our lives. Maybe it's more of an American society thing. I got a text from someone probably two weeks ago, and I spent some time talking with this man, but I don't know him very well. I really don't know if he's a Christian or not, but he does really enjoy talking about spiritual things. But he sent me a text, and he said this, What do you think it means to fear the Lord? If God is a father, when would he want his children to fear him? And this is a verse that I sent to him, and it's been one that's been thought-provoking for me as well. In 1 Peter chapter 1, several verses, it's 13 to 19, Peter said this, and remember, or keep in mind, that he's talking to children of God, to Christians. He said, prepare your minds for action, and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live your lives as obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy. The word holy has been something I've been thinking through as well. What does it mean to be holy, and what did it mean to be holy in the Old Testament? And I found something that was intriguing for me, that the word holy basically means to be physically pure, morally blameless. Physically pure, morally blameless. And in the Old Testament, the word holy was talking more about a consecration or a ceremonially pure. So we know in the Old Testament, that was an old, a quote from the Old Testament that is quoted here in 1 Peter. He said, the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. And so this is what he says, how you should be holy. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Live as obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your old desire, your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy. I'm reading from the NLT on this particular passage. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the Scriptures say you must be holy because I'm holy. Well, that's a quote from the Old Testament, but in the Old Testament context, this you must be holy for I am holy is given in the context of not eating certain foods and conducting yourself through all of the 
the ceremonies and, and the law properly so that you could be considered holy. But in the New Testament, Peter uses this scripture in a very practical way in saying that you actually are holy by how you live your life, not by how well you keep the law, which is an obvious but interesting, profound truth. You must be holy because I am holy, and remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of Him during your time here as temporary residents. We must live in reverent fear of God. That should cause us to live holy lives. A holy life in the New Testament, by definition, is physically or morally blameless. But I thought we were saved by grace. And I would say, well, that's why we can live that way. That's why we're called to live that way. For you know, this is continuing here, verse 19 in 1 Peter, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid for with myrrh gold, with, with myrrh gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb. So he gives that the reason that we should live holy lives is because you were bought with a price. You were bought not with myrrh, silver, and gold, which lose their value, but with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. So there's somewhat of a difference between what was required for holiness in the Old Testament and what we are called to live to be holy in the New Testament. But let's talk about Joseph. And I want to, as much as we can, think of Joseph not just as an ancient story or as an ancient figure, but there's very much, there's so much that's relevant in my everyday life. And I'm not going to just go through and pick apart the story of Joseph, but one thing that was impactful for me to think about was when he went to his brothers to take food to them, and we know that his brothers were not fond of him. It says they hated him because he was his father's favorite but still they were family. And I think at the end of the day, that's how Joseph looked at it. That's probably how Jacob looked at it. Was that, yeah, they don't get along, but they're family. And perhaps that's why he thought it was sensible to send Joseph out with food to take to his brothers. Some of those family dynamics probably don't seem out of the realm of possibility for families today. But they hated him so much that they wanted to kill him, they decided to throw him in a pit instead, and then sold him to Egypt. What was impactful, me, impactful for me to think about was there Joseph suffered 
what some would say is the greatest evil, perhaps even more evil than tyranny, and that is betrayal. And it's interesting to me that that's what happened with Christ, and that that is what there's a good argument for that, to say that that's the greatest evil that anyone could experience, and that's betrayal. And well, Joseph suffered that. And then he was taken to Egypt, and through that, Joseph turned into quite a man. What would ruin most men? He turned into quite a man. He continued to conduct himself in a worthy way through the the betrayal and the hopelessness of getting sold as a slave when he was when he was a son of promise really I mean he he was uh, he had a good life sold as a slave but then as he continued to conduct himself wisely, what caused him to do that? The easy answer is, well, that's because he trusted in God. But how did that look like? Day in and day out to to be faced with what happened, to think about it every day, yet every day deciding that it's worth it to continue trusting because he had no idea. It was through his faithfulness to what he knew was right that he was given more and more responsibility in his master Potiphar's house. And we can maybe have a hard time connecting ourselves with Joseph, but really what he had was not that much different than what we're given today, especially as men of our households. He was given responsibility. And he was trusted with Potiphar's entire household. In fact, it says Potiphar depended on him so much that the only thing he had to decide was what food he wanted to eat. And in a way, you could say the same thing for your children. The only thing they have to worry about is what food they want to eat. With the way we live our lives today, but us as men are responsible for our households. In much the same way, you could say that that Joseph was responsible for Potiphar's household and would give indication that he was in charge of all the finances and and, and everything. And it was through that responsibility that the temptations came. And that may not seem normal for us, but yet I think it's very normal because we have 
businesses, we're out in the workplace, we are conducting ourselves every day, especially us men, out making a living in the world. But is it not through our responsibilities that temptation comes? The temptation to work longer hours, the temptation to sacrifice what we know we shouldn't sacrifice in order to make a more comfortable living. Those are very real temptations. And we know that Joseph made the right choice. Why did he make the right choice? One thing that's interesting for me is Joseph was not living in the moment. He couldn't have been. So that may not seem all that interesting, but why, why it caught my attention is that's what we try to teach our children. And it may be hard. It might be easier to teach our children that than it is for us to live, actually. You know, a life of faith is not living in the moment. It's, it's not seeing the future either. It's actually, like the Bible says in Hebrews, it's seeing Him who's invisible. And then living our lives because of what we understand about Him. That's a very short explanation of what faith could be. But Joseph had to have faith or it wouldn't have made any sense for him to say no to the demands of Potiphar's wife. So he made the right choice. And that is what wound him up in prison. And it's hard to make any sense of that at all. And he had great reason to give up hope. It looked very hopeless. But yet, what carried him through prison? Well, he continued on the path that he had been on ever since he was sent to take food to his brothers. He decided that it was still the only way to live out of respect for God. Without knowing, without seeing his dreams that he had. Were those coming into play in his mind? Was he holding on to a dream? Maybe. But holding on to a dream doesn't seem like enough to sustain you in a situation like that. He had suffered betrayal by his family. And then he had made what would have had to been a very hard decision in Potiphar's household. And then he wound up in prison. And then he had the supernatural ability to interpret dreams in prison, but it didn't matter. He was forgotten. It was two years after he interpreted a dream before any return came back. But the beautiful thing about this story, well, we get to see it from start to finish. But Joseph had the wisdom to be able to look back and see the hand of God to the point that when his brothers came to Egypt to buy food, and he revealed himself to his brothers, he told them, don't get angry at yourselves. 
because it wasn't you that sent me here, it was God. When you think of the beauty of that, of that insight, that perception, that's something that all of us should strive for. But we can only hope that we can make right choices being in the same situations that he found himself. But then again, maybe it's not that different. What do we do with temptations that come through our everyday life? But he decided to conduct himself in a way that was upright and with wisdom anyway, even when it seemed like there was no reason to do so. That's a challenge, a great challenge for us today. You could have said that he was holy in the way that he conducted himself, in the way that he lived his life. And he's set forth as an example The story would not have had to have been included necessarily in the Scripture. It wasn't through Joseph that Christ came. It was actually through Judah. But still he was a type of Christ and is quite an example for us. When a child is born and you start teaching them what's right and what's wrong. Every parent's different, right? But still, our heart is to teach our children a right path. And it's been somewhat natural for us, I feel, to want to teach our children how to do things properly, but we tend to praise independence. It's not wrong to praise our children when they learn to walk or when they learn to do things on their own, but at the same time, we need to praise trust. And so then that begs the question, are we trustworthy? Are we trustworthy when we're teaching our children to trust us? Something that can be seemingly so simple has become very profound for me. Something like this. When a child is sleeping and they wake up in the middle of the night, and I'm not talking a baby, I'm talking a toddler, they can, they can walk. Is that child learning to trust you in the middle of the night, or are they learning to trust themselves? So, just a, something that could be a common thing. The child wakes up in the middle of the night and they're hungry, 
And so they think, I can get myself something to eat because I know where the fridge is and I know that inside you know, the door there's milk or maybe they know on the counter there's cookies. And so they get up and they walk down the hall and they help themselves to some food and then they go to bed. And so the tendency is to be like, oh, you shouldn't do that, but that was so cute. You know, I got up, I heard a noise, and there they were with the cookie in their hand. And you take a picture, we'd do the same thing, right? That's cute. But at the same time, it can be more serious than we realize. Because as a child learns to trust you, and you told them, okay, next time, it's like that's a good teaching opportunity. You could say next time, when you wake up in the middle of the night, you remember that it's not time to eat at night. In the morning, you can have breakfast. And you had a good supper when you went to bed. So when you get up and you're hungry, then you turn around and just go back to sleep. Try not to think about it. And you say that because you don't want it to become a habit, because it could become a habit that the child normally wakes up at night and goes and gets themselves something to eat. That's something very simple, and there's not big consequences one way or the other with that. But what is big is, does the child learn that independence is praised and that independence, doing things yourself, figuring out your own self. I've heard uh, parents, and we've probably done it as well, um, proudly tell others how our child figured out something how to do something. They didn't do it right, but they, they sure put their mind to it. An instance is, is entertaining, but a pattern like that is actually detrimental for the child. Are we teaching children to trust us, or are we teaching them to trust in their own intuition, or the way that they think? Uh, one funny example, and I don't think Elizabeth will mind if I share this, uh, but example of what, as a child, you know, you're, you're learning, so of course there's grace and room for this. But there was a, uh, someone had brought, I think it's someone, or maybe Brooke made it, I don't quite remember, but there, was a, there ended up being a cake sitting on our counter, and it was not to be given away, right? It was, it was one for us. Or maybe one that Brooke had planned to give to someone else. Well, someone stopped in and was there for a bit. And as they were getting ready to leave, Elizabeth saw the cake. And immediately she thought, oh, this was for her. And she forgot cake. So she got it and ran it out to her. Said, here, here's your cake. This was years ago. This was a long time ago, not recently. Yeah. And of course, then Brooke had to tell her later, that actually was not for her. <laughs> and maybe she needed cake, you know, who knows, that might have blessed her. Uh, but it was a good example of how are we as adults? Do we tend to trust in ourselves? Or do we actually tend to trust someone greater? And it's maybe hard to connect, but it actually can be a natural thing for us to trust in ourselves based on how our foundation was formed when we were young. Or it can be more natural for us to trust in someone that we respect, someone greater than ourselves. And 
if, if we can teach our children to trust us as parents, it's more of a natural transition for them to then trust God. It's harder for them to learn to trust God if they are learning independence at a young age. And that can make a much larger difference than we ever would realize that it makes. It's foundational to actually naturally trust in yourself. I guess we all naturally trust in ourselves, but when we have built a foundation of independence, how detrimental that can be in our adult age. And we can actually have quite the struggle in our Christian life and not know why, because it's become subconscious. Somewhere along the line, Joseph learned to trust in someone greater than, than him. And of course, we know God was guiding the whole process. But in a practical way, that's a challenge I want to leave for us today. Thinking of the life of Joseph and thinking of our own families and how often temptation can come from our responsibilities. But let's, especially us as men, as parents, let's do what psychologists would say is by far the most successful, and that is to voluntarily shoulder responsibility. Not just do the minimum, but to voluntarily take on the enormous task of providing for our families, teaching wisdom to our children, and conducting ourselves in a holy manner which is physically pure, morally blameless. Because we're children of God. And in order to do that, of course, there's a whole lifestyle. There's a whole... To really do that, for some of us, may take tearing down an old foundation and rebuilding a new one. And that is not an easy thing to do. But I hope that I gave you some food for thought today to take into next week. It's time to close. But to live a holy life, physically pure, morally blameless, is important not just because it's the right thing to do, but because we're building a kingdom that's not our own, and we were bought not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb. To live with hope, then we must give this some serious thought. God bless you. Thank you.